CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the west end of Richmond where it is Wednesday. No, it's not. It's Tuesday, August the 8th. Uh, Virginia has practice on Thursday morning, which means we needed to put the podcast out on Wednesday instead of Thursday, which meant recording on Tuesday, despite the fact that I went to King's Dominion uh, with my daughter and I'm extremely hoarse because apparently when I'm on roller coasters, I make a lot of noise. Um, before we get started and go around and introduce everybody, uh, I want to give a thanks to Thorium Wealth for uh, sponsoring Cavs Corner throughout all of football season. You can check them out, thoriumwealth.com, for more information. Um, we're going to go, I, I think we're going to go not necessarily position by position, but we're going to talk about the different questions that are facing the Cavaliers here in the preseason as, as fall camp is underway. Um, before we do that, let's go around and uh, get everybody on the show. Up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the program. How are you, my friend? I'm good. It's actually August 6th, not August 8th. Don't rush my month on me. Did I say 8th? Um, I thought I said 6th. Yeah. Did I say 8th? No, you, you said 8th. So you got the Ocho in the month. That's yeah. what it is. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Um, you know, taking a minute off from calling Comcast and rating about the ACC <laughs> network to do the podcast tonight. <laughs> who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on Twitter. Uh, I wonder how people are, are appreciating my, uh, it's not really trolling so much as it's just, I'm, it's like a victory lap that Verizon has it and I have Verizon. And so every time yeah, I see a whole be bunch, a lot of people at your house on the 31st, I know, right? everybody, everybody come to my crib. I'll be in Pittsburgh, but y'all can watch the game, uh, up in Reston, uh, staff writer, Justin Ferber also on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I also have Fios, so I'm hey, also good. See, it's it's not just me. It's not just yeah. me. And they, that deal was done a long time ago, so right? I wasn't even I, I wasn't even that worried about it. Um, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner, also on Twitter, Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and my trolling if you don't have Fios. Um, all right, so practice opens on Friday. Ferber was there. He had the con. Um, even though it was supposed to be a morning practice, ended up being a night practice uh, after um, – I, we we assume they never actually said it out loud, but it was for to 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 compensate for the travel for Bronco Mendenhall and the passing of his father Paul and the funeral uh, on Thursday. Um, they, I think they finally had their first morning practice today. Um, they'll have another one, I guess, on on Thursday, obviously, because that's the one um, that we're supposed to go to. I guess I want to start just kind of in a general sense. One, I, I think we're all glad that it's football season. Um, even though we don't necessarily have any like actual football to talk about yet. But I think that this is about the time when that preseason awesomeness disease starts to set in. And I guess I just want to do a little bit of a straw poll and see how are we on, on that front? I, I personally think Virginia's going to win a national. No. Um, how are we, how are we doing on the preseason? Uh, Dave, have you started to sort of get this like feeling that like, Oh man, they're going to really win the coastal or are you dreading it? Where, where are you at on the scale right now? No, I mean, I think the biggest sign for program improvement is that I'm kind of picking nits about, you know, their the issues they have, um, because overall the the base is pretty solid, right? So, um, in the past, we had to, I had to convince myself, hey, we they'll be fine. They they don't know who the quarterback is. They'll be all right. Um, so it's different. Like I'm optimistic. I do think you know, opening on the road against an ACC opponent that's kind of I wouldn't say been your number one nemesis, but been a nemesis. Um, certainly weighs a little heavy on how you look at the way the season starts. Like you, you got to come out pretty sharp. So, I mean, I'm confident, but uh, I'm certainly finding myself maybe I wouldn't say glossing over, you know, not, um, certainly not glossing over issues like I, I would, if I thought this team would barely make a bowl game. Um, I think, you know, the floor for this team is a, is a bowl season. So, and I'm just trying to figure out what the ceiling is by picking every nit I can. For what about you? Do you feel like, uh, in watching them the little bit, you got to watch them on Friday. Did you come away thinking that they were, um, that, that, that you, you had any sort of feel for what they were, or was it basically kind of what you expected? Well, I mean, I, the stretching was phenomenal. Uh, everybody very limber. Um, you know, that was like the first third of the open practice. But um, honestly, kind of kind of piggybacks on what Dave said. Uh, but the big takeaway from going to the practice, I haven't been to an open practice since probably the first year that Mendenhall was here. Or maybe maybe I had one or two more after that. But 
it's it's almost bizarre going to an open practice and just not having to worry about the quarterbacks. Like you can just kind of settle in and say, okay, well, I don't need to look at how they're divvying up the reps or anything because you have a clear number one. And I think at this point you have a clear number two. So it's, and then everybody else is just kind of like, you know, depth you know, development at this point. Um, so that, that, that's a great thing. Obviously, you know, how they get through this camp, how healthy they are going into Pittsburgh will be huge, but I'd say my outlook on the season hasn't really changed as much over the summer as maybe it did in the past. And I think that's kind of indicative of where they are right now in that, you know, the expectations that we had coming out of the bowl, um, going into what, you know, we thought would be a very promising season this year hasn't really dipped because, you know, there haven't been knock on wood, there haven't been any major injuries or anything like that. And everybody pretty much is back. And also, I mean, like the expectations are just higher. So it doesn't feel like we have to, artificially get ourselves up for a season or convince ourselves like dave said that the glaring holes on the team will just be resolved uh there are holes for sure but i mean uh, they have a lot more depth on the roster now and and i think that um it's a lot easier to envision them being able to overcome those questions than it was in, in previous years where the questions were bigger or you know the the issues with the roster were more glaring yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I think of it like this. <clears throat> if if you compare this season to or this preseason rather to some of the past, it's it's a whole lot easier now because you, even if you know they don't have Alameda, they don't have Juan Thornhill, they don't have Tim Harris, what's in the pipe is is pretty good. And a lot of those young kids who played last year um, got a lot of good experience. It's hard. It's I would say it like this. Instead of the idea that you sort of need to get yourself ramped up or you need to sort of believe in some half-truths to sort of get yourself to be um, optimistic, I think it would be hard to, be op- to, hard to not be optimistic about this team because you, you return Bryce Perkins, you know who your backup's going to be. If you look around the, the roster as a whole, there's a lot of spots that are – in really good shape. Now the, the offensive line has to be more dominant on the, on the ground. The defensive line has to be better against the run. Um, and those are obviously going to be focal points for them, not just for camp, but also throughout the whole season. But I just look at it and I say, look, this is a team that sort of knows its identity, knows who they are. Um, a lot of dudes who have done a lot of the, the things that they want them to do. And guys who maybe have had, Smaller roles are stepping into some larger ones, but by and I mean it's it's ultimately like if they if they are who we think they are, they're going to be really good. It, and it's not that big a leap to get from yeah. you know what I'm saying. Like you don't have to. There's not a whole lot of holes where you have to sort of like fudge, you know, the line to make it connect. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think I don't want to gloss over one issue. Um, what one big positive for everything is it's the same coaches teaching the same stuff at the same positions for four years now. Like even when we had runs of coaches, we were, we haven't seen this kind of staff. Um, what's what I'm looking for. Um, continuity. Thank you. Continuity in the staff in a very long time. And I think that does matter because now when you think about like the offensive line room, for instance, you know, 2J has been coaching, you know, Nelson and Glazer. And now he's been the voice they've heard since they've been here. And he's still there, and now they they can repeat what he says to the younger guys, and that's at every position, um, and that's huge. I mean, you think about all the turnover we've seen in the years past, not only with with the roster but with the coaches. It's just one more piece that I think makes makes everything easier. I mean, we've all dealt with it in our life. It's a lot easier when you can concentrate on little things when the big things are are steady, right? So I I don't think we should leave that out of our discussions where the program is because very few programs have this kind of uh, coaching staff continuity over four years, especially when they have a couple years of back-to-back success. Ferber, when you, when you were going through um, not to, not to just plug something that's on the site, but I thought it was kind of fascinating. If you look at the 16 class and the number of kids in that class that are no longer there, and then you compare that to 17 and how the 17 class for all intents and purposes has a lot more hits, right? Um, maybe that's not a really good description, but the 17 kids have really taken root, right? And you look around, and there are a bunch of those guys who are in you know prominent roles. It it to me speaks to not just 
um, the staff doing a really good job with that specific class, but also them doing a nice job of understanding how to develop kids. And that's something we saw in that first season, even though they were they were horrible. Like you could see a handful of like young kids who were you know in there making plays. As you sort of went are going through these different classes, um, what's been what's been the thing that stood out to you the most? Yeah, I mean, you forget that. Uh, like in that 2016 class and even the 2017 class, but mostly that 2016 class, you, you kind of forget sometimes how many guys got on the field early, um, particularly the year, you know, 2016 when they were bad, like you said, two and 10. But, you know, you had guys like Bryce Hall basically starting. Um, uh, Chris Moore played a lot more than I realized his first year. And there were some other guys like that. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, that the 2016 class, if you look at it now, th- there's some top-end talent. And, you know, two of those guys, Jordan Mack and Hasis Dubois, were, I think, you know, two of the higher-rated guys in that class. And then you had Joe Reed, who, you know, we all liked a lot. And then Bryce Hall kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, you kind of see how they're developing the rest of that group that still remains. I mean, you got – Dylan Rankinsmeyer and Rob Snyder, guys that maybe and Darius Bratton, guys that were depth players that are now being asked to play a starter's role, and you feel like they can do it. And as far as the attrition, like you said, I mean, if you look at the guys that are gone from that class, uh, you know, there's 13 of them. I'm looking at the list now: one, two, three, four, five, six. I would say almost all of them committed to the previous coaching staff, with the exception being that. Uh, Tristan Hill, who didn't get into school, and uh, maybe like one more in there somewhere. Um, but that's it. I mean, everybody else is still there. So, um, and then the 2017 class is really. I mean, I think the way the the tweet that you wrote about the article pretty much summed it up perfectly, which is they are kind of like the core of the roster if you really look at it. I mean, there are so many guys in that group that uh, they're not necessarily you know, household names at this point, but they are starters. I mean, Mandy Alonzo, and obviously you have Charles Stone and Joey Blunt, who I think have kind of elevated to that, at least as far as UVA fans are concerned, household name sort of status. But you have all of the running backs basically were in that class, the PK and Lamont Atkins and, and Jamari Peacock and so on and so forth. And you kind of look through that group and you say, man, this is a big portion of the roster, the depth. Um, and, you know, a lot's going to be expected of them this year. They're going to, you know, have high expectations. And, you know, we'll be releasing the 2018 one probably by the time people listen to this. But that group, I mean, with the new redshirt rule, you're able to get some of those guys on the field without burning the redshirt. Um, and none of those guys have really reached star status or anything at this point. But you can kind of see how in the flashes that we did get that there were some there were some potential in, in those players that did play. And. And, and it kind of shows you that they don't necessarily have to get five-star guys to, to get quality players. I mean, obviously, you'd like to have guys like that. But the development kind of speaks for itself if you just look at the rankings of the class. The, for that 2016 group, I mean, half of them are gone, but they were ranked 61st. I think the next group was somewhere in the high 50s, and then the 2018 group was in the 60s as well. And then, obviously, this, this freshman class that just came on grounds – is was in the 30s i believe um so hopefully you know that that even that the ceiling for that group could be even higher if, if they're developed correctly so yeah i mean it kind of shows you how that the depth issues that were there before um some of that is dissipated through lack of attrition in the last two classes as well as just pure development of the players there's just not very many guys that stick out to you as like oh this guy isn't really a contributor right. except for the guys that are gone right with um yeah i think Go ahead. No, I was going to say, gonna, no, I'll go. Go let ahead, me, man. Yeah, let me frame it like this. As we look at the offense going into the season, uh, with that, I'm because I, I think in, to, to Ferber's point there, the idea that like the class that was there two years ago is now the backbone of the roster, that's basically the way you would want it to work, right? Is that the, the, the older classes are essentially the, the backbone. You get a smattering of the, the newer two, and you know, you kind of just keep it moving. In terms of the offense, I think if you look at the questions that Virginia has on that side of the ball, a lot of it really comes down to that depth and that succession planning really filling itself in. For me, the biggest question is the offensive line. And we know from common sense, I don't know, um, we, but we know that the offensive line was the position that was the worst recruited 
of of all of them um, for this staff coming in. They were they weren't left a whole lot there. Um, you know, they've gotten. I mean, they've gotten some. You know, like Rankins Meyer. I mean, his versatility and his ability to basically play any three spots, and his. You know, he. I, I know he got hurt um, and he wasn't available this spring, but that's a the fact that they were able to get that kid and he's been there and, and has as much experience as he had. I think think that's a big that's a big part of it because right now they can be in camp and have a competition at center, knowing that if if they don't feel comfortable with Oluwatimi or Fanning, they can go back to Rankinsmeyer or move him to. You know, the fact that he gives you so much, I think, is in and of itself important. As as you look at the offense, Dave, with that sort of frame of of the classes and, and, and sort of the way things are stacked up, what are the big question marks for you on that side of the ball? Yeah, I think you're right. Offensive line is number one just because you got to keep, you know, we can all agree the most important player on the team is number three. And you got, even though he's very elusive and, you know, an ultra athlete, you still got to keep him clean. Um, you got to give him a chance to not have to take a hit every time. And you got to be able to run the ball. Um, so the offensive line is most important. I, I do think, look, there's some still question marks there. But when you look at the core, when you've got Glazer and Nelson and Rankinsmeyer, those guys have played a lot of snaps the last couple of years. So, and they've won games playing. You know, they won 14 games basically while they've been playing. Um, so you've got to have some confidence in them just becoming better and, and elevating. So the question then becomes, you know, filling in the other two spots, which you lost with Pertal and Proctor largely, um, whether that's Swoboda or, you know, Haskins, who hasn't gotten much talk recently. Um, there's some pieces there. Now, obviously, the, the grad transfer is not going to be a factor this year. Uh, and then that leaves the center position where you've got, you know, Oluwatami. Is that how it's pronounced? I Oluwatami. Um, Oluwatami, yeah. Um, so you've got him, call and you've got Fannin, who we've been hearing about since he arrived on grounds, who you know just hasn't gotten much playing time yet. So there's some pieces there. So while I'm worried about it, just because I don't think we've seen the consistent production in the non-quarterback run game you'd like, and we still get a lot of pressure on Perkins, and you don't have that grad transfer plug-and-play piece, I think if this if this is the year the grad transfer wasn't going to work out, you know it's it's better this year than last, uh, just with the the returners. Um, yeah, I won't talk too long, but I mean, I think the next big question mark is, is replacing OZ. Well, yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a good, I think that's a good segue for what do you got. I was just going to say real quick on that uh, class review thing. This kind of speaks to the depth that 2016 group, which was the last, basically the last London class. Um, and then we had the a few Bronco guys sprinkled in at the end, like Devonte cross. Um, how many offensive linemen are left? Do you think? God, uh, it shouldn't take you too long to figure. I don't out. guess any. I was just one, none. Dylan Rankinsmeyer. Yeah. Rankinsmeyer. That's it. Oh yeah, he was the him. only other. The only other offensive lineman in that class was Newtson. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. <laughs> and that's that's not even counting guys. I mean, like you have some guys in that class that were basically recruited to like Osiris Crutchfield played some offensive line, but he wasn't recruited to be one. Right. So right. that's kind of that's like mismanagement at its finest. Yeah. And then you look at the next group. Glazer, um, Nelson, Swoboda, and then even guys that haven't really played that much that are still on the roster, um, Fannin and Volmer. Like, I mean, that's that's how you start to accumulate playable depth. And was that's Fannin kind of the highest rated? Maybe. Yeah. Was, Ryan Nelson was pretty solid. Yeah, Nelson was a was a good get in terms of the services. I mean, Rankinsmeyer yeah. in and of him, and like he imagine if like they didn't have him, like how like, for lack of a better word, but they would have been, you know what I mean? Like, they would have been totally rough. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, that, and that's why you end up with guys like Marcus Applefield, you know, playing for you because they just didn't have any upperclassmen linemen on the I team. I will say, too, with Applefield, they kind of caught lightning in a bottle because I don't think most grad transfer linemen are going to be like that. You know, like, Gellerstedt has, is interesting yeah. because he gets, to, he gets to be there two years, so even if he's out this year with, by the way, one of the, like, grossest sounding injury situations I've ever read about when I read Jeff White's article and he kind of explained like what that thing was. I was like, well, that's just disturbing that part of his bone was in his knee. Like, Oh, anyway, 
Um, but that he gets two years is interesting, right? M- but most of the time, you're not going to get a guy who's just going to walk on your campus and play. You know what I mean? Like, in, you know what I'm saying? Like, as, as a lineman. Um, but I think as they go forward, they won't need that because they've done a really nice job of, of kind of stalking it. Dave mentioned OZ. I want to get to, to Lamade because to me, like, he sets the bar. Like, I, I don't know. He had like 4,000 receptions or some nonsense last year or whatever it is. But like, as much as Bronco does not want to replace Jordan Ellis with a committee, I think he's going to have to replace Alameda with a committee. I don't think you're going to see, you know, Joe Reed catch 41, uh, you know, score 41 touchdowns or something. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, he's going to – it's going to be incremental for all of them. Um, you know, with some probably some new faces in there. there there's, a, there's some skill guys. I think that have a chance to really make some noise. I just I look at this team and I think it's almost it's weird. It's like if this team had Alamade Zacchaeus coming back, what would be different about your expectations for them? You would still be worried about the offensive line and the running game. You'd still be worried about trying to keep Perkins healthy. You'd still be worried about you know some stuff on D. If Alamade was there, it's not. I guess what I'm saying is is that like even without Alamade, the cupboard's not bare, and that's not necessarily a thing you could always say. Uh, in especially in recent years, um, Ferber, how do you think they go about replacing Zacchaeus? Yeah, I mean it's got to be by committee because you don't have another Alameda Zacchaeus on the roster, so or at least not the one that we know about. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, that, that's no disrespect to the guys on the roster, but if somebody has 93 catches this year and it's not Hasis Dubois or Joe Reed, that's going to be pretty crazy. And like you know, those guys factor in as well, but he gave you something that. It's hard to replace in terms of just volume. I mean, 93 catches, not to mention um, his ability. He's just like a chain mover type receiver that can catch the stuff underneath. And then on top of that, he could, you know, take it from underneath and go over the top. The the big issue I see with replacing him isn't necessarily the volume of catches. It's the big plays. Right. So Joe Reed obviously came, came, you know, blew up at the end of last season and had a bunch of touchdowns. Um, they don't take the top off as far as throwing the ball deep. Um, and I, I don't remember the numbers I was looking at a couple weeks ago, but it was like staggering how little they threw deep. Um, but I mean, like, so you're, you're looking at big plays as catch, you run after the catch on slants and stuff like that and, and screens. And we've seen Reed do that. And maybe they'll take more shots this year. Um, and, and Dubois, I think, is a great red zone guy, but I don't know if he's necessarily a volume receiver, um, especially in the middle of the field. You know, he's he's an outside guy. So I think you're going to be relying on guys that we saw a little bit of last year in Tavares Kelly and Billy Kemp. Um, I'm not exactly sure if one of them emerges or if they both play or what. And then, you know, I think that they had two promising or at least interesting grad transfers um, kind of on both ends of the spectrum. One a super talented kid that went to Arizona state had three career catches kind of got lost in the shuffle there. Um, but the talent was never a question. And then another guy who was an FCS player, but super productive. So I think that, you know, if you can get something out of those guys, it's possible, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it kind of opens things up maybe a little bit more that there's not one specific guy to key on, but at the same time, um, I think that made things easier for Reed and Dubois last year that Zacchaeus was getting so much attention. So it'll be interesting to see, how his absence affects route concepts and things like that. Dave, if I want you to go, but I, I don't want you to steal my answer. Yeah. So so like don't be don't be like really smart. Be like moderately smart. Um, I don't know if I have moderately smart. I'm, um, <laughs> no, I, I will say like like it's hard to replace a guy who had like an all time UVA season. So replacing him as a single person is. Yeah. He's the uh, all-time all-time leading receiver in the history of the school. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's not, not, let's not, he's not just yeah. the guy. Yeah, you're, you're not replacing him with like you know Tavares Kelly. I think he's got a lot of upside. I'm not expecting him to become Oz. And you're right. Like the the offense last year didn't have a lot of deep shots like we saw when Ben Kerr was quarterback. Like just wasn't part of it. But in in Oz was a deep threat, but he wasn't. He didn't really run a lot of deep routes, right? He was a deep threat because of what he could do with the ball in his hands. Right. So I, I think one of the things that happened, and it maybe got overshadowed because of the, the heartbreaking losses at the end of the year, but Dubois and Reed really came on at the end of the year. Um, they both had big games against Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Um, 
they weren't that big in the bowl game as far as touchdowns, like where where OZ was, but they certainly have gotten better. So I think you can at least count on them to be, or hope they would be as productive as they were last year, which is pretty good production when you're talking, what, 80 or 90 catches between the two of them and 12 or 14 touchdowns. Um, and Joe was a, you know, Joe's your big threat. Like he's averaging almost 20 yards a catch last year. So the question for me is how do you replace what OZ was able to give you from, you know, just a complexity standpoint. Um, and maybe that's with a running back, like whether it's, you know, whether it's Adkins or Kyer or Hollins, maybe it's a running back who's a little more involved in the passing game than Ellis was so that you can get that swing game. Or maybe it's using a guy like Millage out of the backfield or pulling Te- Kelly out of the backfield or Kemp. So I think there's a ways you can do it by committee. Um, you're not going to replace that, but I don't, that, I mean, I'm kind of, trying to i'm trying to think what brad's answer can be so i can steal it that's probably what the problem is but no i mean i i think there's some talent there and like if you watch you know we don't get a lot of video from the from the uh, from the program during these practices but the little bit i saw at chapman makes me think he might be more of a contributor than i expected and wick certainly looks athletic and young and at some point you know virginia's gonna have a freshman just kind of I mean, Clemson has these dude comes in a freshman and play play wide receiver. Like, why can't Virginia have one pop in every now and then? You know, uh, I always I don't want to. I also don't want us to disrespect Terrell Jana because I always forget. Oh yeah, him. oh yeah, yeah. He I mean, only had eleven catches. He had eleven catches last year, but see, you know, I was still a there. You go, there you go. <laughs> Talking when it ain't your turn because I can't say the quote because you know we're a family program. I mean, if you if you think Terrell Jana is replacing Alameda Zacchaeus, I'm very excited to hear that. No, I think here's here's my thing. I think that Zacchaeus was impactful for multiple reasons. Look, the ki- it's not like the kid never dropped pass, right? But it was it was his yards after catch and his ability to impact a game when he wasn't the guy getting the ball, right? Now, how many times did Ferber and I lose our mind in the press box because it would be like third and seven and he wasn't in the game? But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> beyond that, we're going we're going to let that go. But like. Having that guy in the mix made defenses react, right? You can't account for him with one dude, right? You can't. You can put him in motion. You're going to put pressure on teams. You put leverage, right? I, I think that that's the place where they will miss him the most is not just in terms of his yards after catch. He was phenomenal at that. Dude would turn, you know, a four-yard catch into a 23-yard gain. Um, he was exponential that way. I think – the way you have to replace him is you have to one, those passes are still going to get thrown, right? The, the question is who catches them and where? And I think that part of the field it's Jana to me is he's not going to come in and be a Lombardy, but I do think that he's a kid who, who can fit in ways that while maybe not necessarily a Lombardy like they can be in the offense that it can provide leverage. And I think that between that and, some increased play at tight end. One of the things, if you looked at the numbers between what Virginia did with a tight end two years ago and then last year, you saw the numbers go down. I think we all understand that Bryce was coached, you know, one, maybe two reads and then go. He never got through his progressions. He's got to be better at that this year. And I think that the tight end numbers are going to tell us a lot. If, if we get to the end of the season and tight ends are catching passes with regularity, I think that might be even an even better sign for the offense than just Bryce running for a bunch, right? Because your whole offense can't just be dude goes out there and creates. A lot of it can. He's that talented. But if he's working his progressions and he's getting the, the, the catches to the tight end, whether it's Cowley, whether it's Grant Mish, whoever, um, but it's that middle part of the field that I believe Jana can help you with because I think he can give you some leverage on the outside. I think Bronco mentioning him and Joe Reed specifically – is guys who have really taken on a leadership role. I thought Jana looked, when I saw him in that um, that last workout of summer, I thought he looked tremendous, like just from a physical standpoint. Um, I, I think those guys, as well as Hasis Dubois working in the middle of the field, I think this offense has pieces that when you put them together, they can kind of um, Voltron their way, maybe, to getting you close. You're not, like you said, he's the all-time receiving leader uh, in school history like you're not gonna replace him you know like some dude is not gonna walk out there and be like all right I'll I'll, I'll take all his catches but I, I do think that the offense 
can produce the same amount if it, if it can find some flexibility and versatility given the skill sets. Um, yeah. Any other anything else on the offense before we move to defense? Yeah, I, I, mean, I will say the one thing when the the one thing on Oz is he only had like he had a remarkable season, right? But he he only had nine touchdowns. Yeah, and I think what four of those were in the bowl game? Three, three. So yeah, you know you know that's a big chunk. So even though he was a threat, like there were other guys who stepped up. So and I feel like Tavares Kelly kind of gets lost in the mix because he was there last year. But that guy, if he can put it together, like he's he's got the potential. Well, and, and he's somebody who could actually be a beneficiary of this because a lot of his playing time was taken up by Zacchaeus, where you can't really say that for Dubois or Reed. Like, they were on the field with him in tandem. Um, And Jana may be the same, too. I mean, I know he was kind of an outside guy. But, yeah, I'm not trying to say that you can't replace – or you can can lose something in Zacchaeus and still have a better offense overall. And and the big thing, I mean, that it's going to come down to, not from a personnel standpoint, but from just a productivity standpoint, is – Two things. One, red zone was atrocious, so that has to get better. And two, big plays. They didn't have any. So, I mean, you have to – if you're not going to be good in the red zone, you got to be hitting on big plays. And if you're not going to hit big plays, you better finish drive. So it, it, they don't even have to fix both. If one of them is fixed, then the offense should be a lot better um, from a points-per-game standpoint, assuming that they can piecemeal together uh, Zacchaeus is missing 93 catches. <laughs> it's missing 93 catches all right on the other side of the ball the defensive line look Vic Soto is like a magician because somehow or another they made it through a season with like three dudes and a pack of bubble gum and now they have like a whole like that picture that they put out the other day was like a whole like bunch of guys who all play, now played the same you know the same front I mean it was just kind of mind-blowing because you're like oh that's what it's supposed to look like I have heard you know rumblings that Jawan Briggs is as good as advertised, that he is crazy strong. And so I'm not trying to – I, I guess I'm, I'm not trying to say, hey, he's going to come in and be a starter. But I do think that it just kind of speaks to the depth. Because if, if a kid that good gets there and other guys are still playing, that's, a, that's almost a good sign, if that makes sense, um, that they don't need to like rush him in and be like, yep, he's now the, the, you know, the new guy. That being said, he could he could earn his way to being the new guy. Like we could get to the end of the month, and the lights come on in Pittsburgh, and there he is. I think that that front and the running and the run defense is. I don't want to say it's a story of this defense, but I do think that when you look at the at the skill sets that they have returning, do you want to throw against these dudes? Because I don't think I want to throw against those dudes. You got to be able to run the ball, and if you think about last season, that's where teams had success is when they were able to gash them on the ground. Dave, what's your biggest question for the defense? Is it is is your biggest question the run D? I mean, I don't want to chicken out, but like if we were going to say there's three big questions on the team, I don't think I'd have one on the defense. Um, and I, I don't think that's because there's not a question there. I just don't think they're big. And if they are questions, I think this staff, with what they did, with what they had available at the end of last year, and what they've done with the, what they had the year before, at this point, I'm going to trust them to figure out enough pieces to make it good. Um, you look at the defensive line; even if I, I think Briggs is going to be really good, and I think you know you had you got Bernie back and you know, Alonzo healthy and and Handback, who's like the least mentioned best defensive lineman we've had in a while. It is probably I don't remember a defensive line under Al Groh having this depth, you know, potential depth. Let's put it that way. Um, and that seemed to be like the one issue, the one bugaboo he had with the three, four. And yeah, and that's kind of, I feel like maybe I'm missing something there, but the fact that you're replacing two guys who are playing in the league now in the defensive backfield, um, it's pretty amazing to me how much, how good this coaching staff has been on the defensive side of the ball. Um, granted, you know, you're losing Chris Peace, and you got to see if Snowden can can do more than just be a freak and you know actually you know go from two and a half sacks up. But I have every confidence that they will. Um, so I mean, I'm anxious to see how the defensive line looks when they're able to rotate those guys and they're fresh. Um, but yeah, I mean, so if yeah, if you force me to say one, it, it would be run defense. But like, I, I don't really care about 
how many yards per carry. I get, I care more about points per game. That's just the way the game is now. And this defense has proven to be stingy in the red zone. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing with the defense. I will say, like, I'm most excited from a depth perspective to see how, to see what when he's got depth to bring in when guys get tired. Like, can Bronco? What kind of pressure can he bring for four quarters? Um, what kind of pressure can the team bring for four quarters? It's going to be fun to watch. Like, I'll be excited to watch the defense play again, um, and hopefully. Imagine this defense, like uh, assuming everything goes well, like there's going to be injuries, blah, blah, blah. But assuming this defense molds into what we think it can be, and you put it with an offense that's forcing the other team to have to try to score, that could be fun. I like how Dave's uh, problem for the defense is that they're not playing yet because he wants to watch them play. Um, <laughs> Ferber, Ferber what's, your, what's your big question mark or whatever on the defense side? Yeah, I think it'd be kind of disingenuous of me to say that run defense isn't the biggest concern, but I, I am interested uh, to see if they can do a better job of getting after the quarterback. And they've, they've definitely created tons of havoc and pressure, but not a ton of sacks, if you just look at pure yeah, sack numbers. I mean, they're, le- they're leading returning sack artists. I don't know how you would put that. S- leader in sacks. Leader, leader in sacks, yeah. Um, was is Jordan Mack and Charles Snowden who had two and a half each, and, and Charles Snowden, you know, has this reputation for being this monster pass rusher, um, and and I think he definitely created a lot of havoc. But I think that he needs to complete the deal at some point, you know, get after the quarterback, and and get that number up. Um, and then obviously, you know, you see a lot of the returning sacks come from linebackers. Zandier had two, Mack had two and a half. Um, Gam had one and a half and so on and so forth. So it'll be interesting, like Dave said, to see how they kind of dial up the blitz packages and stuff. But, you know, outside, you're going to have Charles Snowden kind of trying to replace Chris Peace, who was the only guy that consistently got after the quarterback last year and got and sacked him. I mean, he had seven and a half. Uh, so Charles Snowden will kind of be trying to fill that role, I'm assuming. And then somebody else will be kind of trying to take his production out on the other edge. So I'm interested to see how that plays out because you've got a lot of options there. Um, obviously, you know, we've seen Zandir play on the edge. He can play inside. Uh, Noah Taylor is a guy that seems to be coming on. Um, Elliot Brown has played quite a bit. So I'm interested to see, you know, how they, how they dial up these pressures and if the defensive line can be improved and, you know, you bring back so many guys at the second level, I think linebacker, a lot gets talked about the secondary being the best unit on the team as far as the starters i think the linebacker group as a whole might be like the deepest position at this point there's just so many guys there that can contribute um, including some of the true freshmen uh so i think that it'll be interesting to see how they kind of dial up pressure and if they can replace pieces production while also you know just having more guys get to that four sack maybe even five sack threshold instead of just one like they had last year i kind of feel like I mean, I don't want to say that we've we've aired because we haven't talked about Juan Thornhill, but I think to to Dave's point earlier, scoring defense versus run defense. I I think I focus on the run defense because I think that in a lot of those games last year, it was the run that would betray them, um, that ultimately would lead to the points. And it's not necessarily saying that the that that scoring defense is not important. It certainly is. But I think when you're trying to replace Juan Thornhill, or and you're trying to I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to make a an apples to apples comparison to Zacchaeus on the offensive side. But what Thornhill did, beyond just his stats, right? That dude fit everywhere. He was good against the run. He was good in coverage. He could basically do anything they needed him to do. Do they have somebody that they can look to right now and say, "Go do all of these things we need you to do"? Probably not. What they're going to have to do is be better at the other spots. We know what Bryce Hall can do. We understand how good he is. I'm not entirely sure how the safety situation is going to check out. Nick Grant sounds like he's pushing for that cornerback spot that I think all of us, myself included, assumed that Darius Bratton would be at. Um, they have so much depth. And, and, and again, the questions that, that need to be answered, that they don't exist as questions because they don't have options. I forget which one of you said it a second ago, but there are dudes everywhere. Like, there are options. The problem that I have is when I, when I think about how they have to replace Juan Thornhill, I need, I, I guess I need more consistency from other dudes. And a lot of these guys are injury prone. And maybe that's part of football, right? But you look at that defense and how many of these guys who 
are now going to be playing even more important roles because they don't have Tim Harris and they don't have Juan Thornhill and they don't have Chris Peace. A lot of these guys have been injured at various points and missed significant amounts of time. You know, just think about last year, right? You lost Mandy, you lost Joey, you lost uh, Brent Nelson. Basically, was banged up all year, even though he he played in every game. You lost um, Jordan Mack for a while. Jermaine Crowell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like a lot of these pieces, I'm again, I'm not saying that these guys aren't good and that they won't be great. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that like when I'm trying to like handicap it or frame it, right? Trying to replace Juan Thornhill. It's almost like my brain is trying to tell me, and my 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 heart was is like you're retarded. But like, um, it's like trying to replace Juan Thornhill almost might be more like like a taller task in a way than trying to replace Alameda. Even though I know Alameda is the all-time leading receiver, I get that. But I'm talking about from what I watched on the field, dude. When they needed it, Juan Thornhill was always there, and like when a team was gashing him on the run, it was Thornhill who made a play. You know what I'm saying? And to Ferber's point about sacks, like, Snowden can have all of the PBUs, right? And those are huge plays. I'm not trying to say that. But if they're not tackles for loss and you're not pushing the defense back, the, attack, a, 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 a drop pass that you just live to, to throw another day, if you're not making them pay for it, that all the chaos that you're creating, it's not necessarily for naught, but it's not the positive that it needs to be. And so I think, in essence, they're going to have to increase that chaos in the backfield without Chris Peace while also figuring out ways to be better against the run without and, and still be good you know, against the pass without Juan Thornhill. I think that's a tall task, and I think as, I, as focused as I am on the run D, I think replacing Thornhill is, by and, by and large, um, it's not just the biggest question to me on defense. It is the thing that will dictate how good this defense will be. Yeah, I mean, Thornhill's huge. Like, he had a monster year. He was good his entire career. Um, because of how good Bryce was at the corner position, I think it's we kind of forget how good Juan was. And, um, But I do think the counter-argument to concerns about how do you replace Juan's ability to you know, fit against the run and where the production's going to come from from a sack perspective with at the linebackers especially, it's last year Snowden and Peace – Almost every passing down, like they were playing, almost every down period, they only had two defensive linemen on the field with them. So they were getting a lot more coverage. So it'll be interesting to see how having more depth at the defensive line. And sometimes it was, you know, a guy who hadn't played much with another guy, especially <laughs> towards the end of the year. So I do think having a bigger front seven will, will help those guys get more one on one opportunities. Um, and plus, they're at its size. You know, Snowden's looks so much bigger now than he was last year at this point. So some of that will come with with improved depth in the front seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if Blunt stays healthy all year, I have pretty good confidence that he will do a very good job replacing Juan. But he hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. Um, yeah. So I mean, I agree with that part for sure. Yeah, and I mean, the good thing, if you want to look at a positive, is last year we were having these same conversations about Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding. And the that's defense good, yeah. no, that's plugged, really in, point. Yep. plugged in plugged in the next group of guys, and, and they did fine. So I think that, you know, it's always – in college sports, you're always going to have a certain amount of turnover. You can't prevent it. You know, it's not like the Patriots. They're, they can't just, like, roll out the same team that won the Super Bowl again. You know, it's, it's going to be different faces in different places. But that's why you develop depth and, and recruit well and, and could get – you know, coach the guys up because – Eventually, everybody's time's going to come where they're going to run out of eligibility, and you're going to have to have you know a player in line to replace them. And I think that while they don't necessarily have a a guy with the bona fides that Juan Thornhill was as a senior, I mean, if you look at what Joey Blunt was able to do, even playing, I think he played nine games as a sophomore. I think that that is definitely encouraging. Is maybe he could become the next great safety. Um. I do. We we said offense, defense. I, I is anybody really stressed about the idea of having the kicker and the punter be the same dude? Because like I, I can't say that it's not really. I can't say that it's a that it's a bad. Like, I don't want to say like it's a thing that I think they should do. But like if if this it's the same dude, like that's you know it's not like he's the only guy on the roster. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like if he's the guy that's the best at it, okay, cool. You know, like I wouldn't care if your best running back was also your best receiver. You know, Smoke Mizell did that for years. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't know. I, I, I pulled that out in a thing and then thought about it later. It was like, well, if that's the way it goes, I mean, that's weird, but it's not like detrimental. Right. You the same way, Ferber, would you say? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's been done. Um, like, a lot of teams have done it. But, I mean, I guess in an ideal world it wouldn't be the case because you don't want to overwork a guy's leg in a game. But I kind of think that that's not going to be the case. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to shake out, but I kind of think that they'll have more of a break in roles somewhere. Either Nash Griffin becomes the punter or they do something else with the kickoffs or something. But I, I think that they'll find a way to split the roles up. But even if they can't, I don't think it's the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's no big. I mean, it's only a big big deal if he gets hurt, right? Because then you lose all three <laughs> positions. Yeah. Well, or now, if you're bad at one now, of them. now you just willed yeah. it into existence, Dave. Good job. No, I mean, but in Nash Griffin, like, is he a black? Did he make level black? Or he's, he's definitely near the top. I thought you were asking if he was. I, I thought so, I thought no, so no, too. No, I was no. like, "Wow, we're gonna have to cut this out." Black level. <laughs> I honestly I have no idea, Dave. I, I know he's like. Idea. I was reading an article from. Well, I mean, it might be they might have like a special team designation for that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I mean, um, I, I don't know. Look, it if, just if, seems if like, anybody on the it special seems like as many as many kickers that they brought in, and you know, I think you can say they brought in a lot and haven't found a lot, but they're going to keep trying until they do, which yeah. I do respect with. Because well, the they've got what Dunkel in, and yeah, I guess I'm, Pearson's been hurt, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, here's the thing: is like the whole point was that Pearson was going to be the kicker and Delaney was going to be the punter. Um, yeah. And so, really, it's not necessarily that that Delaney's going to do both. It's that they just didn't have a good enough kicker at, at the time. I think long term, Pearson to me, I mean, look, that dude. When I saw him at the workout, he looked like a linebacker. Like he he looks like he act, well let me rephrase he looked like a safety slash linebacker he looked he looked like a like an actual football player and and I don't mean that as any disrespect to dudes who play special teams but I think we all understand that punters and kickers don't typically look like football players um, I, I think ultimately what you want to have happen is you just want the best guy to be the guy and in terms of overworking him I mean look if anybody saw Brian Delaney working out like that dude is a, he's a different kind of guy like. Mentally, like the way he attacks the thing, he's different. So if he needs to, he needs to kick every time that a foot touches the ball in a game. I swear to God, he, he'd be like the greatest day of his life. Like he is all yeah, about yeah. it. Um, that, that yeah, I really definitely... don't care who's kicking. I just want some consistency. Yeah, I don't no, want to I get to, that. Like, get an ulcer when we're kicking a forty-yard field goal. I want that to be automatic. <laughs> or that or was, yeah, or when it's third. And... Part of, yeah, that was the toughest part of practice the other day was like you know they don't have numbers right. And at Lambeth, they have the field goal post set up on the far side from where we're standing. So I'd say the equivalent of like 50, 60 yards away. Um, so they opened up practice with that. And we're like, who is kicking? Because you have no idea who they are from that far away. There's no way to know. They're facing away from you. I mean, there's just no way to know. Challenge like, accepted. And somebody, well, somebody gets blocked and you're just like, okay, well, which one was that? You know, it's like, it's pretty tough to tell. Um, I mean, obviously there's some height differences, but like Dunkel is not that much bigger than Delaney. So, or if he is at all. So I think those are the two guys that were working. So it was kind of hard to tell them apart. Um, Looking at the calendar. So today is the sixth, not the eighth. Um, So we have two more weeks. So basically prediction podcast would be on the 21st. Would you pit on the 28th? So that means next week we get to talk about props and all kinds of fun stuff, right? Is that is that basically the schedule we've 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 outlined for ourselves? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, put it into its own podcast. <laughs> props are fun. Give it, make it, make it its own feed. Who cares? Because yeah. there's just tons of those yeah. these days. I mean, it definitely makes more sense to do it on its own than shoehorning it into the preview podcast like we did last year, now, which I mean was fine, but it just like we kind of rushed through it. Now, so. yeah, yeah. No, I, I like it. I like it better doing it this way. Um, but I think, look, I, I think the bottom line on the questions is like Virginia's in a good spot. And I realize that for a lot of folks, like that feels weird and, you know, you don't know what to do with your hands. Um, but like that's, a, you know, that's just the way it is. I, I, I don't think like they didn't like slip up and become the f- coastal favorite. Like people are looking at the roster, looking at the, 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 the skill sets, the stats and everything. And they're like, hey, you know what? Now they still got to go out and do it. And the fact that they open up against Pitt on the road is an interesting wrinkle. Um, and I, and I'm excited to, I'm excited to see, you know, how it all sort of unfolds. Um, you guys got, yeah, we, we, we went like 50 minutes and didn't say anything about the quarterback. We didn't, yeah. we, we didn't say anything about it. We talked well, about no, it. I mean, I mean like being a question mark, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Okay, like, yeah. Well, one thing, one thing that we might actually want to talk about is the running backs. I mean, like, I don't, but here's my thing is like, I don't necessarily think that, that let me break it to you like this. If Virginia is good on the ground this year, it's not going to be because of the running back. It's going to be because of the offensive line. Like, all of those dudes. Mike Hollins looks like he came straight out of central casting. 
um, whether it's him or PK or Talapapa, whoever. But like all these dudes, like none of those dudes are like, you know, um, transformational sort of talents. You know what I mean? Like they are good players. It's the offensive line, and I, and and I didn't I didn't bring up the running back. It wasn't necessarily like intentional per se, but like the bigger focus is the offensive line because realistically with the talent they have at running back, they should be good on the ground. If they're not, it's not because of the running back. It's because of the offensive line. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we don't know who's going to emerge at running back. Um, I think that they have enough options though, to where they'll figure out something. I, just you know hope, I, mean? I hope it's Yavinsky personally. I just, just, just so, <laughs> yeah. so Dave will uh, have his moment in the summer. Let him free. Um, that, that, that's what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily, um, I thought it was interesting what Bronco said the other day about not wanting to do it by committee. And I'm glad that he got that on the record because that was something that I was very curious about. Because if you go back to even BYU, like he kind of had a, a bell cow running back, and the first year he was here, actually, if you go back and look, I kind of forgot about this, but Reed, uh, Albert Reed and Smoke kind of shared the work. Um, but I think that was more because of Smoke's skill set than anything else. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I don't really have a good feel for it because it seems pretty wide open right now. If you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your shows, uh, we're probably there. And if not, let me know because we should probably, probably should be there. Um, also, give us a rate and review. always helps to get us out in front of more people. If you are somebody who found the pod but uh, has not given the website a look, check us out, calfscorner.com. Right now you can check out, uh, did a three takeaways piece, basically from what Bronco had to say uh, after the first practice. Um and we mentioned it before, but Ferber revisited the recruiting classes from 16 and 17. And as you listen to this later today, uh, he will also do 2018. And then looking ahead, I'll be back uh, in Charlottesville tomorrow as you listen to this to see we get the first 30 minutes of practice and then we'll get to talk to Bronco and some players. Um, also, again, want to thank uh, Thorium Wealth for their support of CavsCorner.com, the sponsor and the, the, the show, this, the podcast, all of it for the for the football season. Uh, go to thoriumwealth.com for more information. Um, and also, too, if you have not checked out the uh, Fanatic stuff, if you are somebody who's putting together your tailgate, you you know you need stuff, you go hit the, the link that's in the podcast app right now or in the content item. Um, we're part of their affiliate program. Anything that you buy, whether it's UVA or not, helps us support the site. So definitely go and do that. We very much appreciate it. And, again, I want to say thank you to everybody who supports the show and also to Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. As always, it is very very hard to do a podcast by yourself, so I very much appreciate them. For David Spence, Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.